probably risen quite high in the sky by this moment, on this particular day, in this particular moment of the Passion Week. Although it probably wasn't as hot as it would get in June, July, and August when archaeologists do their work. This is probably late March, early, early April. But still, the cool breeze that came across from the, from the Mediterranean, from the West, had probably ended by this time, and the warm, hot desert breeze from the West coming up from the Dead Sea had probably taken over. But I don't think, I doubt, that any pe- person in that area of the temple and the in the portico among those massive columns where Jesus was likely sitting and the crowd around him was listening, even cared about these phenomena because they were hanging on every word, every syllable that came from Jesus. For hours now, the Pharisees had been grilling him, trying to get him to uh, make a mistake, to trip him up, to find some error. But Jesus tactfully and skillfully was manipulating all this. The Sadducees, I should say, would have been doing this. The Pharisees saw that the Sadducees had... not gaining, made any success. And so as the Sadducees pulled back, the Pharisees came in. And as the Pharisees came in, Matthew says a lawyer stepped forward. Mark says that he was among the scribes, and he had a question for Jesus. We'll find that question in the book of Mark. I'm going to read from chapter 12, the book of Mark. In fact, if you want to stay there, we'll come back to the book of Mark later, so you can leave it, your Bible open to Mark. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to pick this up in verse 28. It says, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceived, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? You know the answer. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus, of course, is quoting Deuteronomy, a book that he no doubt inspired um, uh, Moses to write. And so as we go back, is it possible we can understand that the depths of what God is asking for us in this greatest commandment of all, by going back to the book of Deuteronomy, And looking through the eyes of Moses, who wrote these words in Deuteronomy, through the eyes of Moses, a man who had been raised in Egypt, who had had experienced the Exodus event, and had come out and years later wrote these words down as the greatest commandment of all, maybe there's something in the Exodus event, the Passover itself, that might open this up, unlock this, unpack this for us, so we can see that today. Let's let's, uh, go back to Exodus then. You can leave your, your Bible open here or put your bulletin there. I'm going to read a passage from Exodus chapter 12. We'll put it up on the screen, at least the highlights of it. Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, and strike the lentil and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of your, the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. The question I have, the question I've wondered, is why paint blood on doorposts and lentils? 
Wouldn't it have been much more meaningful, at least to us, if God had said, paint a cross symbol on the door? That would have been, the door, after all, is how you enter into a house. If the door is shut, isn't that all you need? Why not on the door? Well, the answer to that, actually, we find that in the um, construction philosophy of the Egyptians. And so uh, as, we, as we look at the Egyptians, we contemplate how they built things. We'll notice that they built all their temples and tombs out of stone. They did this because temples and tombs were eternal. They dealt with eternal things like the gods. Whereas they built their houses out of mud brick, even the palaces of the king, the nobles, were made out of mud brick because the Egyptians believed that this life was only temporary. What we do here doesn't really matter to the eternal. It does matter in the judgment, but as far as what we own and possess here is all going to be gone. It's all temporary. What really matters is the eternal, and so they built the eternal out of stone, lasting stone. Next slide. As we look back at the Exodus, we read that in, in Exodus chapter 114, remember in chapter, in chapter 1 verse 11, it says they built two store cities, Ramses and Pithom, to supply the Egyptian army, supply cities. So the Egyptian army going north along the coast would be supplied by Ramses, going through the Wadi Tumult out into the, into the desert, they'd be supplied by Pithom. And so what, what, were those, what were those building built out of? Well, it tells us in, in verse 14. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar in brick and in all manner of service in the field, all their service in which they made them serve with rigor. They made the Egyptians serve, uh, the Hebrews serve with rigor in making brick. Next slide. It shouldn't be surprising to us then that they were using mud brick because mud brick was what they were using to make these houses and palaces and here's an example of a, a modern uh, example. I think I showed this uh, on Tuesday night, if you were here for the talk about the plagues. They, um, they made mud brick, and they built these houses, and, and they were building cities. So, of course, they were using mud brick. Next slide. So the Egyptian philosophy was to use mud brick on, on things that were temporary, except for one element of their house. The one element of their house that they didn't use mud brick for was the doorposts and lentils, which they made out of stone. Why? Next slide. Well, it, it goes back to what makes up a human a human. In the Egyptian mindset, what, what makes a human are five elements. If you have all five, you can live forever if you have all five. You need a body, you need a ka, a ba, a shadow, and a name, and those five. And so let's go through them one by one, kind of briefly to see, kind of explain what they mean. The first one, of course, is the body. We know what that means. That's why they mummified their bodies. The bodies were important. because They felt because the ba would come back into the body uh, and rest at part of the day, and then it would leave and go to the realm of the afterlife. So the body was important. They had to have that body. And that's why they would mummify. The poor people wouldn't get these, uh, they couldn't afford the mummification process, so they'd wrap their loved ones up in reeds and gently and carefully lay them in the sands in the desert. And actually, it turns out to be more well-preserved than some of the mummies that were gone through this expensive process because the natural elements ended up preserving them better. We have better, better mummies there. Next. The next one was the ka. The ka is represented by these two hands upraised. It's a hieroglyph symbol. It just simply means life force. So you remember back in Genesis where it says that God formed man from the dust of the earth? That's the body. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the ka. That's the energy, the life force. And the Bible says that everybody has, a, every living thing has a life force. Human beings have life force. Animals have life force. Ka, it's a ka. It doesn't mean anything. In fact, if all you have is a body and a ka, all you have is a zombie. <laughs> you don't really have anything because there's nothing in your head. It's just an animated body. And that is nothing. That's why you need one more element, which is the ba. The ba is your character. It's your personality. It makes you unique. Think about if you have identical twins. We had identical twins at Pathfinders one year. It was very difficult to tell them apart. They looked really very much alike. They didn't talk very much, which made it even harder. 
But as you got to know them through the years, you realized they were unique individuals. Although they looked exactly the same, they had the same body, and although they had the same cock, because everybody has that, the life force, what made them unique was their, well, ba, their character. The Bible says that character is the only thing we can take with us to heaven. It's what we're developing. God's going to give us new bodies, and he's going to give us a life force that never, ever ends, praise God. So that's what we're looking for. But how does this help us understand the greatest of all commandments? Let's look at that again in, in, in um, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What is that about? Well, this week we showed the young people, talked a little about the weighing of the heart ceremony. I'll put a picture of that up on the screen for you of, the, of, a, of this ceremony, which actually weighed the heart of the dead person against the feather of truth of ma'at, the balance of justice. If that heart was not heavier than the feather, then that means that that person, that the dead person, could then live forever. They're declared justified. The declared justified means that your heart, which contains all of your good deeds and all of your heart, bad deeds, that it contains more good deeds than bad deeds, and therefore you're balanced. That's the Egyptian idea of judgment. But we, if we can get the idea from that back in Deuteronomy, that when God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, he meant with all of the things you do and all your actions. Love him with everything you do. When Moses wrote the word heart, he would have been thinking that way. That's what it meant to him. And then it says, with all your soul and strength. Well, soul, that's your body. That's your character. That's who you are. Love God with everything you do. Love God with everything you are. And then it says, with all your strength. Strength is that ka. That's your energy. Life was what motivates you in life. Anything that moves you in life. So love God with everything you do. Love God with everything you are. And love God with all of your energy. This is what this is talking about. It's very, very exciting because if you go to Jeremiah, God expands a little bit on this. He says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. That's the covenant. It's the eternal covenant. In fact, he says at the next line, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Don't go back. With them. I will put my fear in their hearts. I put my fear in everything they do so that everything they do, all their actions, everything that happens with them, that is the, done in the context of their relationship with me, that covenant relationship with me. And I will, I will rejoice over them to do them good with all my heart. God says he's going to do good for us. If we're in this covenant relationship with him, he'll do good with, with all of everything he does in his life, everything he does in the being of what God is, and with all of his character, his personality, what makes him unique, what makes him God. He'll do good for you with everything he does and with everything he is. Next slide. And so we have the body, we have the ka, we have the ba. There's two more elements. One is the shadow. That's easy. It's quick. As a a God, Ra is shining down on the earth. He casts his shadow. It just means you live in the realm of reality. That's all that means. The next one is the name. The name is very important. If your name doesn't survive, you cease to exist because no one remembers you. How many people in the ancient world do you know? You only know them by their names. Otherwise, you don't even know they even existed. And so to make sure they existed, they etched their names in stone. That's why you see all over temples and tombs, monuments, pillars, obelisks. Go back. Monuments, pillars, obelisks are all, all engraved with names. In fact, right here is a, is a list of names of kings. They put this everywhere at different locations so it wouldn't be forgotten. Now, next slide. And so if you weren't wealthy enough, to put your name to buy a big monument, what you could do is put your name in stone, eternal, eternal substance, over your doorpost and lentil. And that way you would be remembered forever. Next slide. And so why would God ask them to paint blood on the doorpost and lentil? Next slide. 
is so that they could cover their names in the blood of the Lamb. See, the doors were painted red. This was a superstition the Egyptians had, that red protected them from evil spirits. But God said, there's no, nothing that can protect you in the color of red. It's the blood that protects you, and the blood on your door is not going to do anything. Blood over your name is what's going to save you tonight and what's going to save you for eternity. Next slide. In fact, um, if you look, you see that, we have a nice illustration of that. I always miss that slide. Next slide. If you see in the book of Revelation, it actually says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life or the Lamb's name from the foundation of the world. Next slide. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Next slide. But there is, shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who's, who's, who are written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who died for you. If his blood is covering your name in the book of life, you will live forever. Next slide. And so, just like the Hebrews had to cover their names in the blood of the Lamb before they began their long journey to the promised land, so we also must cover our names, have our names covered by the blood of the Lamb and the Lamb's book of life as we begin our journey to the promised land. As we, as we wait on the edge, as we're living here on the edge of eternity, waiting for Jesus to come back, uh, we, we, we want to make sure our names are there. That went through that covenant relationship. So this week, I spoke to the young people in the week of prayer about this. How do you have this relationship? What does this mean? Next slide. And so we talked, uh, we, our theme text this week was actually from Jeremiah 6.16, the first part of it. And from the NIV, it says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Stand. Take your time and look. Ask for the ancient paths. There's a reason why these paths have existed for a long time. There's a reason. Ask where the good way is. What's the best way for me to proceed? And then walk in it. Keep in that path. The good path has been established. And if you do that, you will find rest for your souls. The guilt, the things that are troubling you, you'll find rest if you stay in the ancient paths, the good paths. Next slide. And so we talked about blood being the symbol of atonement. We talked about uh, that, that, that covering of the guilt, the way to forgive, the way God, by the way, doesn't use your hand to accomplish his work, but he uses his own hand. And when you realize that, you remember that every time you lift your hand to do some of God's work, that you're actually lifting God's hand to do that work, you'll be more than mighty in it. Then we talked about circumcision as a sign of a community. Circumcision, Deuteronomy says, circumcise your heart. Deuteronomy, Moses realized that the circumcision that was physical was important to belong to the Jewish community, the covenant people of faith, but what really needed to happen was for you to, to circumcise all of your actions. Everything that made you you had to be follow God. And if you did that, you'd be part of God's covenant people. And they talk about leaven being a sign of impurity, the way we get that out, the way we get it out of our lives for seven days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread as, as a symbol, the reminder that we really need to make these good decisions and get the malice of puff up, puff up uh, uh, hypocrisy and malice and wickedness out of our lives. We talked about timing, the importance of timing, how, how God asked them to do this tonight. They did it that night, and then, that, that, and then he led them out in the Exodus that moment. But Pharaoh asked for tomorrow. Remember the play of the, of the frogs? It, Moses went to him and said, when shall, I, when shall I get the frogs to be gone? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. Why ask for one more night with the frogs? Why do you want one more night with your bad habits, your, bad, your evilness? Why delay one more day? Don't delay. In fact, get, go now. When God's calling you, hear his voice and do it today. And then the last message we had yesterday was about that, that um, them standing by this Passover meal. They're standing on their feet. They have the belt around their waist. They have the staff in their hand. They're ready to go. God says, eat it in, eat it in haste. 
but don't leave your house until morning. Why would God have them hurry up just to wait? And the blessing that we can experience through waiting, as we wait here, as we live in this life, and we prepare ourselves and do all this to become part of God's people, then we must not give up because we lose patience. Keep your patience, go forward. And so what about the lamb? What about the lamb? We never talked about the lamb this whole week. But actually, we talked about the lamb every single day because it's the blood of the lamb that's being put on the doorpost and lentils. It's the lamb's community we want to join. It's the, it's, the, it's the lamb that's without blemish, why we even have unleavened bread, which is what we'll be doing in a few minutes in communion. It's the timing to partake in the lamb today, not wait. And it's just that salvation of the lamb that we must engage in, that we must never, ever let go. If you look back, next slide, to the, to the book of Mark. We return to this story in verse 32. So Jesus said, the second is like unto thee, you should love, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. Pick it up in verse 32. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The, the, this lawyer who had tried to trick Jesus realized that what Jesus said about the greatest commandment was true. You must give all of who you are, all the deeds you do. You must give all of everything that makes you you. You must give all of your strength, your energy. Jesus had added the word mind. You must give all of it to you think about because anything less than all is not all. Jesus said, now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God.